My name is Samantha Garner, and I'm from Boston, Massachusetts. I'm a Cheeselandian because I take cheese seriously, just like they do in Wisconsin. Go to Cheeselandia.com to learn more, and if it's for you, sign up. Welcome to Processing, a show about the intersection of food and grief with your hosts, me, Zara Tangora, and... Bobby Comforto. Bobby Comforto, a soup fiend at large. (laughs) (laughs) Just suck it up. Bobby can't get enough of soup. It's the only food she can think about. Um, (laughs) Bobby, next week when we ask our guests for what we're going to bring to the dinner party, you cannot bring soup. It's officially been stated now. You have to. This time I brought your soup, not even my soup. You can bring your own soup. That's okay. The (laughs) moss ball soup I made is delicious. As we, uh, when you're going to hear this, we will have already celebrated Passover. Um, we're not religious in our family, but definitely I think we share this, Bobby, any occasion to celebrate anything we exactly. jump on. So exactly. I'm going to, uh, I made mothball soup and it's delicious. And, uh, I really worked on the broth. I did, I boiled and boiled chicken bones and chicken feet. And we, we mentioned chicken feet in this episode and this episode is actually called chicken feet and I use chicken feet. They're everywhere. Um, but I made this rich, kind of milky, sticky, delicious broth. It was great. Almost like mm. a ramen broth. It was so cloudy and mm. yummy. Mm. Anyway, how are you? I'm fine. I was really uh, excited by this uh, episode. It was wonderful it was to meet our guest. Ugh, such a, I mean, you know, I said this at the end of the episode, but her energy was just so, mm. like, lovely and peaceful. I felt very, like, I don't know. I just felt transported by our conversation in many ways. And it was emotional. It made me sad. It's very hard for me to hear when people come on and talk about their losing their mothers, particularly mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I'm staring right at you and listening to that, that mm-hmm. story. And if it, it really, uh, it, it, it upsets me, not upsets me in a bad way, but it makes me emotional, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this was, well, we're here, we're here on the show to open our hearts. And so lots of stuff comes up. We often cry, right? Oh, absolutely. This was a two-tissue, a two-tissue session. Absolutely. I cry a lot. Last night I was watching The Sopranos, and um, I'm re-watching The Sopranos, uh, as I have a couple times before. I must have seen the whole series through five times now, but I haven't seen it in a while, and it's so great. And there was a scene at the end of one of the episodes yesterday where AJ and Tony were making ice cream sundaes together and Tony was like squirting whipped cream into his mouth and stuff. And I really lost it. I just was thinking about dad. And so you can, you can be emotional, you know, fall into a, a crying spell anytime. And that's okay. Well, I also think that there's an intersection between food and grief. <laughs> you don't say, well, let's yeah. explore that in this podcast processing. So anyway, we, today our guest is Danielle Jaffe and Danielle comes on to talk about, Primarily her experience with losing her mother, who she describes as just an incredibly creative person, a, a painter and a life liver. And uh, she reads a beautiful piece for us that she wrote about food and grief. And it was just such a pleasant, wonderful, deep, great conversation. She is just such an interesting person, a healer, a holistic healer, a birth doula, a death doula. She, I wanted to really hear more about how um, her work that she does in uh, maximum security prisons. Like I, she's just a very yes. interesting person and yeah. uh, a very intelligent person and a very cool person. I really liked her a lot. Um, so Danielle, after we hung up, we like, we could have gabbed all day. I mean, truly we have, if, if time wasn't an issue, we would have just gabbed and gabbed. But, um, 
she mentioned something as we were just talking after the show ended. She said, uh, talking about grief and, and going through an experience of losing someone you love, she said, get Watching curious. Watching them die. Yeah, to well, be curious, said, to allow cur- the curiosity. Get curious. And um, we, she said, oh, I wish I had mentioned that during the show. And I said, don't worry, we'll mention it in the, in the uh, whatever you call this part, the pre-show. You know, that's a word that's used in, in mindfulness meditation. And it's the concept of being curious of every second, of every moment. And so yeah. certainly a moment that's so unbelievable as the death, the dying and the death of a parent or somebody that you love, it, curiosity helps us. It's an antidote to fear. Mm. It's a way that we can go into fear if we're curious. Love it. Interesting. Bobby, you're so smart. And you're so pretty. <laughs> um, it's so nice to see you every Friday. So lucky. And I can't wait to get to see you in person and cook together soon. Oh my gosh. I really miss doing that. It's so weird this year. You know, you just have to, I know people have these conversations all the time, but it's just everything changes as in with grief, right. As in with any loss, right. We've all lost our sense of normality. Like it just happens quickly sometimes and you adapt because that's what people do. And we've all adapted to doing zoom dinners and taking walks and stuff, but fucking shit. I miss <laughs> like hanging out with you and coming over but- and lying on your bed and trying on your clothes and eating things out of your refrigerator. I mean, like I just want that to be a thing again, just being a normal, relaxed person. It's coming. If we can picture it, it's going to happen. Yeah. All right. Well, we love you guys very much listeners out there. And, uh, if you have a moment, we ask kindly that you rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Or at the very least, give it a rating. It takes under three seconds if you like it. If you don't like it, give it a bad rating. But I can't imagine that you wouldn't like What's not to like? Bobby's here. If you don't like Bobby, nope. there's something wrong with you. <laughs> and we really, really love your feedback. So yeah, if you do. can do that, that would be so helpful. Yeah, Thank for you. sure. And write in to us. Write in if you want to be a guest. Write in if you have a letter. Um, a complaint. <laughs> Really, it makes I mean, us anything. really happy when people listen to our show and then write in a letter that, and they want that to be on the show or they want to be on the show. That's so exciting because it really makes us feel like what we're doing is making a difference out there. So totally. We love let you us guys. know what you're thinking. We love you guys. Danielle, thank you so much. Please enjoy this beautiful, wonderful conversation with Danielle and uh, take care of yourselves and each other. Okay. Bye. This morning, we are joined by Danielle Jaffe. Danielle, uh, you are, you do so many things and we talk so, you told us so much in your kind of pre-interview about the different things that you've done over your life and your, I don't, your resume is incredible. You have so much experience in so many different fields, but how would you describe yourself now? If I was to introduce you, we are speaking with Danielle Jaffe blank. How do you describe yourself? <laughs> Yeah. You know, what's funny is it's difficult to answer even on the spot. I've never quite mastered that elevator uh, <laughs> response yeah. um, because it depends how um, it depends on the circumstance. Um, career wise, I'm a holistic practitioner and mm-hmm. um, I have a master's in 
uh, oriental medicine, um, and I was trained as a doctor of oriental medicine in New Mexico, and I also have a master's in spiritual psychology, and I kind of integrate, um, integrate them both, and my particular interest is in the integration of the physical and psycho-spiritual, and how our relationship with the world around us um, is um, a reflection of our relationship with ourselves and mm. vice versa. I love that. I'm actually, that was, that's, that's an amazing way to describe oneself and so deep uh, and rich. And I, uh, later this later today, I'm going to see a friend of mine who's an acupuncturist and herbalist and holistic healer as well. And I feel like it's so you guys are right in tune and talking about how, you know, our relationship with the outside world affects our relationship with ourselves and, and our own health and well-being. It's such a it's such a commonly overlooked part of wellness. You know, we talk about wellness a lot as like wellness is a catchword nowadays. And, and we, I think, overlook that component as actually probably the most important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you bring up um, actually a lot of great points there. And one of them, I mean, one of the reasons I fell in love with and was so attracted to um, Eastern medicine is because um, I, Chinese medicine and Eastern medicine doesn't see a line between the physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual. Mm. Um, there's, and so there's, in in the West, we we tend to be trained toward pointing at the problem. Mm. <laughs> That's kind of reductionist thinking, which definitely has its, um, you know, that's useful. It's very useful. <laughs> we need to be able to see things in smaller and smaller parts, but we can't lose track of the whole picture. Right. And so um, the work that I do kind of takes in all of who a person is. Right. Uh, and an interesting and, way and, of describing yeah. hol- holistic healing, right? Because we that's another term we all hear, like holistic medicine, holistic healing, holistic, you know, but holistic, really, if we are to pay attention yeah, to like what that word means. <laughs> yes, it's whole, whole right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah how did you become in, true. how did you become interested in that? Like, where did this, where did this uh, line of interest in this line of work come from? When did you get into doing this kind of work? Um. It's funny because uh, I was I was raised as an artist. My mother was an artist. I was raised from like looking at the the world through that lens, if you will. Um, and uh, but I um, ended up in graphic design and marketing, and um, you know was actually got all the cues in life that I was doing well. Yeah, <laughs> but. Uh, but there I was at the sort of top of my field and really unhappy mm-hmm. um, and not fulfilled. And I kept looking around going, this just can't be it. And so uh, I had had the experience in college um, of waking up in the middle of the night with migraines, which um, wow. is, uh, it feels like the, my description of that is, it feels like you have a head inside your head that's trying to break free. <laughs> yeah, and, I'm aware. Uh, I suffer from migraines terribly, so we should talk. It, we should talk yeah, after the show. Yeah, absolutely debilitating. Yeah. And my um, 
I went to so many different doctors, tried everything that was available at the time and nothing was working. And kind of as a last resort, uh, my parents, I was out in uh, the Hamptons and mm-hmm. uh, there was an acupuncturist there my, my uh, mom was seeing. And I went there and I didn't get another migraine for 25 years or something like that. Wow. Yeah. So I had the experience that something outside of my, of conventional understanding worked. Mm. Yeah. And I was really curious about what that was. So Mm. when it came, when I came to the end of, uh, what was, um, you know, like, okay, I'm unhappy here. There's something not connecting and not meaningful here. Then I ha- I went back to, oh, this, this had my attention. And so then yeah. I started looking up schools for Oriental medicine. Oh, amazing. Mm-hmm. And new doors were opened. And right? new doors. New doors were opened. and new windows and new perspective. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and, and in a way, it made sense to me that then anything had up until that point. Um, because I had been trained, if you're trained by an artist, you're trained to look at whole pictures. <laughs> you're trained mm, yeah. to look at balance and harmony and the things that don't, that aren't rigid necessarily huh. outside of the box. <laughs> I love that. It, two things. I want to come back to that. One thing that I want to kind of just touch on is that, you know, sometimes these things happen to us, whether it's loss or chronic pain or like something like migraines where you're like, God, why is this happening? This is so awful. And, you know, what is the meaning of this? But look, like you were getting terrible migraines and it prompted you to to start a whole nother, more meaningful career path. Mm -hmm. And then down that Mm -hmm. chain, how many people have you helped? So it's just interesting to me just to point out how you know, when we're in any kind of painful, emotionally or physically painful situation, you trying to find some meaning it, you know, sometimes it just doesn't become clear until later down the line, which is something good to remember. And then I just am so interested by your upbringing and, you know, your mother was an artist and she was a painter, right? Yep. She, she was a second generation abstract expressionist. Amazing. A painter who was um, very active in uh, the Hamptons. I grew up uh, Willem de Kooning's studio assistant was a friend of mine and I grew wow. up in, uh, you know, as a teenager, hung out there. So Elaine cool. de Kooning gave me my first internship <gasps> connected. Oh my and gosh, like, so that yeah. whole world. And, yeah. um, and then she went out to Santa Fe, New Mexico and showed on Canyon road. Wow. So that was her life. That was her. That's amazing. That was and what her was your mother's love. name? Harriet Joffe. Mm. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, you know, I grew up, I can really, I grew up with a, with a a very funky, interesting mom, not, not a painter, but definitely an artist and a, and a life liver and a gutsy kind of woman who doesn't necessarily follow the, you know, quote unquote, normal path of what we think of moms being like. So I think that that's interesting. What was that experience like for you having kind of like a quote, alternative mom? Um, <laughs> well, um, you know, uh, alternative, <laughs> I always felt a little bit alternative, um, not, not necessarily, you know, it wasn't always easy, I guess. Yeah. And, um, part of that is that, um, there was, uh, my, my mother was, um, 
married a lot of a number and divorced a, mm. a lot of times. And my birth father, there was a lot of uh, trauma, mm. you could say, with when my birth father was in the house and he left. So mm. my mother was all besides being, um, you know, this sort of light. Uh, she was also the only steady thing. Mm. Yeah. So we developed a particular kind of relationship from that mm. through that. You wrote a beautiful piece, which I'm hoping you'll read for us a bit later on in the show about your mom relating to cooking, which is how we connected. But what are some of your, cause it sounded the way, like there is a part in your, in your uh, writing that I won't give away because you're going to read it later, but you kind of flip back to being young and in Montauk and talking about blueberries and beach plums. And um, it just made me think that there's kind of a, a rich history of memory surrounding food and your upbringing. Is that correct? There is, there is. Food what was that like? Is, the f- food is really the, the center of uh, just about everything. It's, it's the meeting point. That's, that's why when I saw your, your query, I was like, Oh yes, I recognize that. It's, it <laughs> is the intersection of all life. And, uh, um, and, uh, and actually, in my uh, work, um, uh, in, in my whole equals healthy kind of um, structure that I've mm-hmm. developed, one of the four mirrors, I call them mirrors of consciousness, is food and environment. And mm. um, so that's because it's such a, a essential part of who we are, how we relate to that. So for me... Uh, um, Food, I mean, it's interesting. Food was one thing for, and then as life changed, food changed. Mm, (laughs) So when I was very young, um, uh, I was talking with my sister, we were making dinners and the kinds of food and kinds of dinners that were on the table uh, really kind of reflected what was going on in our lives. But then when my mother met my dad, the man who later adopted me, um, food changed. He was uh, really interested in food and food from different cultures. And he was Ooh. at the time taking lessons in Chinese cooking, interestingly. So we all learned that. And um, she um, introduced us to new ways, a whole other culture of eating and then food from around the world made it. And then my parents were also kind of known in their circle for throwing these great artist parties and uh, food, you know, out in the Hamptons was the center of that. Of course. And then my, I mean, there's a whole other story about my dad bringing um, and bread. He started a whole other career bringing bread out to the ham, uh, make becoming a bread baker as a really interesting. Well, you know, Bobby, uh, had a business in Long Island in the seventies called the love and oven caterers with my dad, uh, John at the time. And mom, you did, you, there's a possibility that paths may have crossed here, (laughs) right? Didn't you guys do a lot of big parties out in the Hamptons and stuff? And we did, you know, but mostly we, um, we did a lot of catering, but we also had a storefronts where we sold, you know, all kinds of, every kind of bread. Zara's dad was an amazing baker and baked, 
20 oh, different wow. kinds of interesting breads. And we had international food. We called it, you know, food from the world and uh, a piece of the world's cuisine. So I wow. also traveled. I, you know, that does sound familiar. Could you say the name again? Love and Oven? It was called Love and Oven. Yeah. Uh, we sold it in 1984. We sold it in 1984, and it continued. The name continued, so that they became caterers. The people who bought it from us. So it's possible uh, that maybe you uh-huh. heard it later on in life. But yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe. But no, this was during the 80s, also uh, when uh-huh. he started. Right? What I think I think that timing works out. Um, yeah, he uh, he would. I mean. He had retired, sort of, mm-hmm. um, and uh, he was in the trucking industry. Industry, and my and my mom was an artist, as I told, as you know, and um, he was home all the time, mm. <laughs> which was different than before. Yeah. So she taught him to make bread as like a hobby, That's and then suddenly there was like bread everywhere and. <laughs> And flower footprints through the house and <laughs> wow. things. And so then he started selling it to a roadside stand. And then it went from like six dozen loaves to a lot more. And then he ended up sharing a kitchen at the Buttery uh-huh. in okay. East Hampton. Yeah. And um, they shared the kitchen in exchange for making bread. And it kind of went from there. And he ended up selling at Red Horse and... Uh, Dina so our worlds intersect there. because the person who owned the buttery was the was a f- people that I worked for in um, Shelter Island, and I ran a hotel and in there. And the father went on to have the buttery. So our worlds connect. I knew Whoa. it. You do. You knew it. <laughs> I knew it. I, knew I could just that. tell yeah. that something about this all sounded the same. I was like, I've heard stories that sound vaguely familiar to this before. Interesting. Interesting. So yeah. was your mom a cook? Did she like, did you guys yes. do that together? Yes. Like, tell us a little she, bit about that. She was, um, she was a great cook. Um, her food, her cooking came, um, was more like, she called it like, you know, I don't know, base, like peasant, she called it peasant food. She yeah, loved yeah. stews and mm. um, things that um, were like putting food by. And, uh, but she, she was an artist in everything she did. And that included mm. how, she, how she put food by. Totally. And, you know, it's funny at the end of her life, when she was here in this house with, um, we had food was a huge part of that too. Um, and there were some moments I remember standing in my kitchen. She was upstairs um, and there were people that we had in the house who helped and we're so grateful. One of them was um, from Jamaica and another woman was from Russia. And then someone else um, um, who was around but they all brought their food in. And each one of these women, it was like women and food <laughs> mm. all around this moment in time. Um, special. And it was so special, but also it woke up parts of my mother oh, to that's so like incredible. different memories. And one of them particularly mm. was chicken feet. Um, mm. like chicken feet cro- apparently crosses cultures. Because yeah, my it, it totally does. Memories is um, Jewish 
history, Jewish heritage mm-hmm. of chicken feet and chicken feet stews. But Ma- this woman, Malene, who is from Jamaica, Jamaica, also had chicken feet. So she was making, I have a photograph of her making stew <laughs> with wow. chicken feet bobbing up. And my mother was so, it like woke her up in, wow. you know, in her process. And yeah, there was a That's number incredible. of different things like that, that was so kind of profound at the time. Meetings at the edge. Yeah. Right? Meetings, All these people from, from different cultures. Well, that was actually a title of Stephen Levine's book, which is a, oh, a beautiful, beautiful yeah. book on death and dying. But yes. I love that name, you know, just that yes. title, Meetings at the Edge, because it sounds like it's such a potent time. How did your, what, what happened to your mother towards the end of her life? How was it that she came to live with you? Um, my mother was diagnosed with um, a kind of cancer called myelofibrosis, which mm. is a kind of cancer. It's, what it does is it um, causes scarring in the bones, uh, mm. in the bone marrow, so that um, the body can't make blood because the bones are where blood is made. And so uh, it's, a, it's a slow process. Um, and um, in the beginning, she required maybe uh, blood transfusions and um, um, platelet transfusions. Uh, I, feel, I don't know, three, every three months maybe. Mm-hmm. And then it, you know, get closer and closer uh, until in the end it was every other day. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, um, and so somewhere and she lived uh, in the Berkshires um, at the on a second floor apartment <laughs> up these stairs. And we knew that there was going to be a time that mm-hmm. my by we, I mean, my sister and I and my, yeah. Uh, and my mother too, but she just wouldn't talk about it. She just wasn't having it. And, you know, so we knew what was coming. We knew that there was going to be a time and sure enough, there was, um, when she just couldn't do it on her own and we couldn't do it there for her. Mm -hmm. So we brought her into my home. Um, and um, for uh, about the last three months of her life. Mm-hmm. And uh, we really provided um, a hospice situation for her, which, it, I mean, quite honestly, it took her a little while, maybe almost all the way up until the end, for her to really fully... Uh, absorb everything what was going on and the opportunity that was there for her right Mm. so she was kind of resisting in a way i mean what was happening yeah 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 no go ahead danielle i'm sorry um yeah my mom lived her life with a lot of enthusiasm and, and I mean, if you ever look at any, she has a, there, or we have, we're still holding the website, harrietjaffe.com, but um, 
you know, she has whole series of works about fairy, uh, Jewish fairy tales. She has Ooh, um, mythical figures in her work. Mm. Um, mm. She, her work is very expressive and colorful, and um, and she lived her life that way, um, mm. which wasn't always in line with like kind of reality. Mm-hmm. She was um, mm-hmm. a price so, to pay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> For being so far out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she was far out. That's true. So wow. um, death, you know, death is very real. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Death is real. And so um, she was trying to make sense with her, you know, which, which is very understandable, um, her ideas of uh, how she, the idea of it versus the reality of it. Mm-hmm. I, and mm-hmm. I can relate to that a lot. My dad also was an artist and a painter and someone who lived and loved fantasy too, like in so many different ways. And mm-hmm. when he was dying, he died not long before your mom, your mom died in October, 2018, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My dad died yep. in February, 2018. So pretty close together. And he, had actually even a similar cancer. He had multiple myeloma. So that's also kind of like a blood bone cancer. And it took a long, some parallels there for sure. And he Mm -hmm. lived alone. And so I feel like he had a very hard time grasping and being able to come to terms with the realities of passing, even though he had so long to come to terms with it because it was such a, it was a 10 year battle with this specific cancer. So there was a lot of time to process but when it really came to letting go. He had a really hard time letting go. And, yeah. you know, when you talk about not being able to almost be able to appreciate, you know, as the caregiver, the loved one, we're where we have our own set of emotions where we're like, I wish you could appreciate how quote unquote good this is for you. If, and if you're going to have to pass <laughs> away, look, you have your family. We have the and how precious, situation. Right? Pre- yeah. right. But we can't get that perspective of the, of the dying person until we ourselves are dying. You know, and I try That's to think of that sometimes I try to, to, to empathize and be like, it must be so fucking scary to die. And mm-hmm. I know like it's not for everyone. And I knew, know a lot of people do death meditation and death work and people are just different, you know, mm-hmm. but it just struck me when you said that your mom was someone who existed boldly and colorfully and, and fantasy fancifully. Cause my dad did too. And he also had a very difficult time, like facing reality and I guess you know the Bobby you often say everyone's greatest strength is also their weak and weakness in some way and that seems like a perfect example of something like in that you know in line with that statement and also I learned I learned from working in hospice I worked in hospice for 12 years you know full-time yeah. and um, I realized that we often die how we live too and you know somebody who's an engineer you know, and, and in their dying process, they're very technical about everything and wanting to. And, and I imagine that being in in uh, their own world, your mother's own world and your father's own world, Sarah, mm. was really important for them. That's how mm. that was their turtle shell. That's how they that's how they did it. Yeah. But you pay the Maintain- price as a family member. Yeah. Um, you know, I think part of what my mother struggled with was um I mean, because in the end, she was trying to, well, not just in the end, throughout her life, there is a lot of, you know, she, she liked to be in control. She did not like to be out of control. 
And, mm. and even the very last day or 24 hours prior to her death, she, I, I walked in and she was lining her medi like medication up in front of her. And she said something like, if I can just, um, what did she say? If I, if I can just get myself together, it'll, mm. it'll just, it'll be okay. Be okay. Mm. And, um, I sat down with her and said, um, something that it's going to, I don't know. I, it's a little bit, I don't know if it's okay or how, or how this is going to sound, but I sat down with her and from the most loving place in my, you know, heart said something along the lines of, do you think you're going to get through this alive? Yeah. You know, this, this, you know, which, uh, was a hard thing to say and to confront. Yeah. And then, but she was, Zara, she was, and she did express fear. Yeah. In the end, um, on the days, you know, at the end we sat together and that was one of the great blessings of having her come into the home, which, yeah. I mean, I have a lot to say about that for sure. Um, but we sat together and she turned and she said, yeah, I'm scared. I'm scared. And I think um, one of the one of the things one of my one of the things that um, I think we've cut out of in our culture to our detriment is the inclusion of things that are uncomfortable. Um, Absolutely. And the thing is that discomfort is not a bad thing. It's part of what it takes to grow um, and, really? and to fully experience all, you know, all of us, all of our life and to get full meaning and, you know, to live a meaningful, fulfilling life includes discomfort. And, um, but if you look at like the culture and media, it's all about comfort and convenience and smooth and, totally. you know, and, and, and our, you know, we tend to medicalize things in order to try and gain control and make it smoother mm -hmm. and Absolutely. take and, and sanitize it. And I think that is, um, it, it, it works against us. Absolutely. Um, the, we are at odds with the we, messaging. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, I told you guys in the pre-interview that, you know, in, I, I, I'm a doula occasionally. Yes. <laughs> and, a birth um, and, and death doula, which is incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, and I've also worked, done work in maximum security prisons. And these are all places that are, are, have so much life. Yeah, they have so much life, and um, but they're all places that people um, tend to be. There's a lot of fear around. Yeah, because we've never been trained in how to engage in these times. At one point, my mother turned to me and said, "I thought there'd be more doctors around." <laughs> That's and so said, interesting. 
the that's doctors, an interesting thing right i said yeah. the doctors have done what they can yeah yeah this is our time totally yeah. you, you know we when you started uh this thought you said i don't know if this is okay to say and i think we also think that so often like i don't know if this honest thing is okay to say and like it is okay to say and it's so hard and that's also one of those things you don't know until you know about the hard things you have to say to loved ones when they're dying and then the complicated feelings that you're left with having said those things you know because I think that that's personally I think something like that is the right thing to say it's honest it's honest for you it's Mm -hmm. it's bringing some you know but that of course that varies from situation if not then when Right. You know what I mean? Right. Cuz it's that moment. It's the it's the edge. But it's it's sad, you know? It's really sad and it's really really a hard thing that talk about things we don't talk about. The, those moments when you have to kind of bring your loved one to the realization that they're dying. They're mm-hmm. not going back. You know, I was in a bad accident, a terrible accident. When I was 21, I was in a bus that went off a cliff and exploded. And I remember my first thought when I like got out of this burning bus was like, I think I even mentioned this last week on last week's show, but I'll say it again, was I was like, I hope that we can get a new bus and still finish the tour. You know what I mean? I think like sometimes our brains are just catching up to our bodies. And as we get well, older, so- as we face things that are really scary, I think that happens very much I, like... My dad, when he was in the hospital dying, it was very clear to everyone else, all the doctors and nurses, myself, that he was not going to ever leave the hospital, really. He was never going to get better. And we were trying to tell him that. And he was just like, I need to get home for the dogs. What's going to happen with the dogs? We can't get rid of the dogs. Like, no one can. He was obsessed with the thought of getting rid of the dogs. And I get it. It's like, ugh. I'm not, you know what I mean? Like, oh, wait, I'm never going home to see my dogs again. Like right. that thought's too sad. And then how do you as the caregiver be like, how do you, it's so, it, it's fucked up. So my point is just like, when you think you're like, oh, I said something that sounds really bad. It, it does. You know what I mean? You're just a human being. And I think we all have to give ourselves a break for those times when we're mm-hmm. trying to communicate this very difficult stuff to people. It's hard. A break mm-hmm. and a pat on the back for being courageous. Yeah, it's, it's it takes a lot of courage to live, you know, and to live deeply. It takes a lot of courage. It does. That is a true statement. Yeah. <laughs> it takes a lot of courage. It really does. Um, yeah, it's hard. I, I love it's that hard. word too. Courage, courage. is important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Danielle, you have written how we connected in the first place. Is you wrote uh, an essay about your mom. Um, Mm -hmm. and in relation to her dying and, and jam making, and I thought it was so beautiful. And I was wondering if perhaps you wouldn't mind, it's not, it's pretty short, very beautiful. Would you mind reading it for us on the show? Um, I would love to read it for you. Okay, great. Awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Um, it's called Starving. Mm. I stand before an array of gurgling and spitting pots loaded with this summer's bounty. Tomatoes in one, peaches in another, and pickled cucumbers already in jars. My mom lies stretched in her white cotton nightgown on my black leather couch across the room and studies me as if for one of her oil paintings. 
Only her piercing blue eyes hint at the vibrancy her entire being once embodied. Purple bruises stain her arms. Pablo, her 16-year-old Bichon, is draped across her legs and snores a bass beat to the frantic bubbling of boiled sugar and macerated peaches. We sat together in the hospital just two days ago, watching liters of blood, the color of black cherries and platelets, the color of cantaloupe, feed into her withered arm through a tube. Her devotion to the canvas, pigment, and palette is now utterly consumed by her need for the next transfusion. I resent the empty promise of each bag, their ruddy lives so quickly spent only to leave my mom starving once again for a future that is not hers to have. I lean in over one of the steaming pots, close my eyes, and inhale the tendrils of scent. I am 14 years old and in Montauk, my mom and I arrive home with our baskets and bellies full of freshly picked blueberries and beech plums. She and I set about making jam. We bow our heads together over a hard cover recipe book that belonged to my mom's mother and try to decipher instructions through a generation of spilled berry juice. Later, we will seal our jars with a layer of melted wax. Doing all right, mom? She gives me a half nod and shifts her gaze to the freshly labeled mason jars stacking up on the wooden chest not far from the couch. I carry a tinkling tray of translucent ramekins filled with samples to the coffee table and kneel beside her. I need you, I tell her. I lift one and then another tiny spoon of cooked tomato to her mouth. Do you think the roasted or blanched tomatoes will be better for a winter stew? My heart pangs and I ask about the future. My mom plays along. She tastes the rosy fruit with pale lips and a tentative tongue and then responds with a shrug. And what do you think of the cardamom in this peach jam? She opens her mouth and accepts my sweet amber offering. Lovely, she musters. I return to the stove, lifting the next set of jars out of the hot water bath and place them on a waving dish towel. A couple of lids respond with a pop-pop testimony that the pressure has changed and the summary contents are sealed safely within. The next day, I hear her tell her oncologist she is ready to quit the transfusions. She tells him she heard a voice tell her, you have seen so much life, it's okay to let go now. More than a year later, it's snowy and cold, and I crave toast with butter and jam. I grab a jar from the shelf, break the seal, and inhale the floral, peach, and cardamom spice. I consume it with my nose, eyes, and mouth. Then it is gone. I love that. It made me cry mm. when I first read it, and it made me cry <laughs> again. No, it's very, very beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, and reading it is even more beautiful than just reading it. It's, yeah, it's really wonderful to hear yeah. you read it. Thank yeah, you a so really much. gorgeous piece, and so like, mm, it's not surprising at all that you know you come from a, a parent who is an artist. It felt like paint. You know, watching paint, oil paint slick across a canvas, like you're, 
Your way of describing it was very umptuous. One of the things I didn't share um, is about food and this time is that my daughter was around also, Mm. who's 24 now, and she's a farmer, a whole animal butcher. Her whole life is about food and farming and the earth. And... um, and part of that is, you know, she was raised by me and I taught her eat my, what I tell, taught her is what I teach my, eat food that remembers its mother. Um, you know, we need to remember ah. where we came from and, and, Love that. and where we came from is, needs to be alive and connected. And yeah. um, that's part of it. But, you know, the connection between me, myself and my daughter, Sophia, and, also my mother and my mother's mother, you know, food is part of our heritage. And um, this piece for me was a moment in time um, when I was just so aware of that um, pulsing um, cord, if you will, generational cord Mm. between us because Sophia was actually around. I, yeah. I wrote this piece to talk about this specific moment between my mother and I, mm. but Sophia was around and part of that. Um, and so it was like all the generations were lining up, all the, uh, of, of the women. Um, yeah, what a powerful time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's sad thinking. and yeah, but really powerful. And it's uh, how did it feel to have your daughter be there? Was it, did it feel like it was helpful in your ability to kind of let go to have your daughter be around as well? I mean, I don't know how to describe in words how meaningful that time it was and is to us. It was um, a gift and um, added richness and meaning to life that I would wish for everyone to have um especially during these times totally totally so true i remember holding my mother as she was dying and remembering there wasn't anything that comes close to that except when i saw zara being born and i just saw the connection Mm -hmm. with the two yeah Mm -hmm. absolutely those two times are remarkably, you know, our entrance and our exit, uh, we pass through the same channels and we touch mm-hmm. the same, uh, what's the word? Ineffable? Is that the word? Um, thing that can't that be works. said? <laughs> yeah. That, uh, ineffable. Yes. Holy, another word. <laughs> Holy. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So, what I did, can I just come in? What yes. I loved about this story was actually the last paragraph. Because that's when you were truly eating what came from your mother. It was just, it was so powerful how you tied that in. Yeah. I love yeah. when you were eating the toast. It was just beautiful. Yeah. yeah. I, um, I, it really was like we were capturing this moment and I was aware of it at the time. It's like we're capturing summer and all that summer is in this moment right yeah. here in this mason jar. So... Yeah. It's beautiful. Um, it's really talk about food and grief. It's so on the nose and so beautiful. Um, Danielle, we ask everyone the same question at the end of processing and all the answers are so different and interesting. And 
if you could have given yourself a piece of advice at the beginning of your grief experience, um, knowing what you know now, having kind of been through it, what would that, what would that be? Piece of advice. Um, gosh, allow it all. Mm. That would be allow it all. And I mean, generally I like when I'm in my best place, (laughs) I ask myself if this is happening for me and not to me, how would I respond? Mm. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's um, that That is wonderful. One of those things. We will will remember that. (laughs) (laughs) That is really incredible. Wow. We have one other piece at the end of our um, podcast, which is we'd like to think that we could have a meal together right now. And if we could each think about what we would like to bring to the table, what (laughs) might that be? Right in this moment, if we could share this lovely time together with uh, a repast, what would that be? What would we bring? Bobby, you want to start? But don't say soup. You've been saying soup every time. (laughs) Soup is out. I want to say actually soup because, but it's your no, soup because Bobby. you sent me, you sent me a picture yesterday of the matzo ball soup that Bobby. you made oh. and it came I from did. this chicken that you made and the chicken was a process and the matzo yes. ball soup was a process and we're not going to share it together, but I want to share it now. So will you bring the matzo ball soup, Zara, and then I can bring something else besides soup? <laughs> All right. We'll bring it as a side. I'm, I'm going to mention my own dish though, but yes, okay. go ahead. All right. All right. Well, I'm going to bring your matzo ball soup. Okay. Sounds good. I think that I would bring, because we were talking so much about hot baked fruit, I think I would bring, like, if let's just say it was the summer, um, a peach plum cobbler with an oatmeal crunchy salty topping. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Well, that's just perfect. I know. At my wedding, instead of cake, we had pie. Because, you know, I love that. What kind of pie? <laughs> All kinds of pies. Ooh, Different pie pies. Variety. That's fun. Yeah. That yeah. sounds great. Um, and that's perfect because I, you know, I love this question. It's always the hardest question for me, the, the desert island question, what food? But it would have to be ice cream, homemade, Ooh. fresh ice cream. Because, oh you know, it has all the sweetness and smoothness and variation uh that's just gotta be what flavor um, goes with the answer the peach cobbler well with the peach cobbler let's see um maybe something with a butter base Mm. (laughs) a butter crumb or butter Mm. pecan Ooh, butter pecan. I love ice cream. And, you know, just to quickly go back to talking about migraines for a minute, I get my hormonal migraines. So like every month I get like a terrible migraine in one side and then the other side. So like for over a week, I'm like out. And I've recently discovered that the only thing that brings any kind of relief, I mean, cold on my face helps a bit, but is ice cream. That's so (laughs) interesting. Yes, because cold helps my migraines. Like on my, if I put, you know, an ice pack or Bobby bought me like an ice mask to wear, but like it helps from the inside, you know, like on the top of my palate, like the cold and plus it's comforting and it feels like a 
like, okay, your body's going through this kind of traumatic experience. Like here's something nice and and lovely for you too. So it helps on an emotional level and physically Um, it helps with the cold. So if you ever get another migraine, try getting a pint of ice cream. Really interesting. Yeah. Uh, From a lot of different perspectives, but also it makes me happy to think that ice cream is healing in that yeah. way to know it <laughs> totally right I mean um, I think that's yeah. so like sometimes we also just have to go with our gut as to like what might feel really good literally when we're exp- uh-huh. literally go with our gut right <laughs> unintended yeah. um and so I don't know I just there was something it was telling me like uh, one migraine ago I was like you need ice cream girl like go <laughs> get some ice cream and I won't say like it didn't heal it, you know, it didn't make it totally go away, but it did bring, I don't know, it just was this, it was, it was a good tool in my recovery. I will say that for sure. Um, that, what you're talking about is I think another important thing that we've kind of almost trained ourselves out of in our culture, uh, which is learning how to listen to and trust that voice in there. Yes. Um, um, I think that, that, in fact, that's, I feel like that is um, a big part of what my focus is right now in my right. life is mm-hmm. learning. And, and the fact that you heard that voice say, no, you need this. Yeah. No matter what anyone's ever told you about ice cream. Exactly. <laughs> or any of that, yeah. You need this. And, totally. and so you did it. And that, that uh, is a beautiful thing. Yeah, you gotta I, listen to this. I'm pointing listen, at my heart, listeners. Yeah. Well, I always think of the song that I learned at Kripalu, which was, "Listen, listen, listen to my heart song. Listen, listen, listen to my heart song. I will never forsake you. I will never forget you. Listen, listen, listen to my heart song." Oh, that's beautiful, Bobby. That is beautiful. Danielle. This has been a beautiful time, Danielle. It's such a, a joy and a pleasure to meet you. Really, like such Thank a you, you have such so a much. beautiful energy, such a soothing, like peaceful, calming, wonderful energy, and it's just even from just seeing you on this, you know, six inch by four inch <laughs> screen that you're on in this little square. It's your your presence is very like profound, and and really, it's just been so nice to spend. This Thank you for sharing hour your wisdom with, you. with us. Yes, yeah. True wisdom. How can we find you? How can people find what you're doing? Um, uh, well, uh, I have a website that's okay. wholeequalshealthy.com, or you mm-hmm. could just use my name, DanielleJoppe.com. Okay, cool. And awesome. um, you can reach out through that. Great. It's been completely lovely um, spending this time with you both. I feel like we could easily talk um the day away (laughs) about all of this uh, all of these topics and um also i just got to mention you you mentioned matzo ball soup and perfectly perfectly timed being um the beginning of passover and and renewal and times of renewal and so it's a really um apropos conversation to be having right now yeah Mm-hmm. I, uh, I, I love making matzo ball soup. I love eating matzo ball soup. It's so, 
fluffy and just delicious. <laughs> it's so good. And Bobby, don't worry because I did put a pint in the freezer for you and okay. I will bring it to you Thank next you. time. <laughs> yes, of course. Danielle, this was wonderful and have a great Passover. And, uh, you know, we will, we can keep the conversation going another time. We have, you know, we always, we, it's been tough with that. COVID to find a way to connect with people, but I think as we start being able to gather and come together, we're really hoping to be able to connect with some of our guests and take walks and get coffee and, and meet them where they're at. So hopefully we, are, we get to spend some time together again. And, I and stay totally in touch. look forward to that. Yes, uh, totally. totally. Okay, yeah. Danielle, we'll have a good one. Okay. All right. You too. Thanks. Take it easy. Bye. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. My name is Samantha Garner and I'm from Boston, Massachusetts. I'm a Cheeselandian because I take cheese seriously just like they do in Wisconsin. Cheeselandia is a community for loud and proud cheese lovers brought to life by Wisconsin Cheese. I know that I can always cook amazing food with their cheese and it's even good enough just to snack on. As a Cheeselandia member, I know there is always a supportive community behind me who always gets as excited as I do about cheese. Go to Cheeselandia.com to learn more, and if it's for you, sign up. Check us out on Instagram at Cheeselandia. Thank you so much for joining us for Processing. We realize that sharing these types of deeply intimate stories on air is a very personal decision. We began this project as a way to connect our listeners through shared experiences and storytelling. We hope that Processing can be a platform for sharing, learning, and healing. We appreciate our guests' willingness to be vulnerable and value nothing more than making both our guests' and listeners' experiences with our show positive and progressive. If you're interested in being a guest on the show or writing in a listener letter, please email processing at heritageradionetwork.org. Please follow us at processing underscore podcast on Instagram. Processing is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food Radio, supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click at the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.